Just Being Honest, the JBH Podcast. Let's rock this. True food, full thought. Today's podcast is brought to you by Dr. Bronner. I mentioned to you last week that I went on a grueling trail run, but that didn't hold me back because I had my Dr. Bronner Arnica menthol balm to save the day. It soothes and helps with recovery. And uh, let me just say, I felt like my inflammation went down about 90%. So snatch a pack, snatch a pair. We're gonna have also a giveaway coming up to you very soon. So you'll want to subscribe to our podcast, which you're listening to right now on Apple iTunes. And um, that can get you in the running for a little giveaway pack. Because Dr. Bronner is all in one goodness. But today, our podcast, we have an amazing guest. I'm pausing here because this is truly insightful. It's a little bit emotional. We go very, very deep. I have guest Caroline Burkle. She is an Olympic medalist in freestyle, freestyle swimming, guys. Um, as you know a little bit about me, I'm a swim net. I grew up in the swimming world. I get it. Caroline went above and beyond. She went to the Olympics 2008, Beijing. You're not going to want to miss one second of this because she shares her story about how she started getting into the swimming world, her lifestyle, growing up, about losing her identity and how she's on that path to regain it after the competitive competition of swimming. She talks about her biggest fears and I ask her, Who's Caroline? She talks about relationship turmoils, communication barriers that she has had at particular points. She talks about injury. She talks about success. She talks about her entrepreneur skills, starting an amazing business that's only giving back to shape the future generations. You're not going to want to miss one second of this. Get your notepads out now. And I want to just tell you that, guys, this girl did the unthinkable, and it started within her mind. It started within her heart. And I think a bigger message here on this podcast is that you can do anything, too. So without further ado, we're going to jump in. Cannot wait to hear what y'all think about this. And I can't wait to share Caroline's story. Kiss, kiss, hug, hug. The JBH podcast is about to go down. We're diving right in. Take marks. Go! I'm here with a very special guest. Oh, I guess they're special, but this one's extremely special. Her name is Caroline Burkle. (laughs) She is... 
an amazing swimmer, an amazing, you know what? She's an amazing person. She has a wide story to tell, and I'm super excited to have her on the Just Being Honest podcast. This is your host, KB, your health and lifestyle manifestation coach. We, as I just said, have a treat for you. So, Miss Caroline Burkle, without further ado, we're just going to just get right into this because we have so much to talk about. Sweet. All right. <laughs> hey. Hello. Thanks for having me on, girl. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, before we start the show, I just want to say Caroline's nursing a little, maybe she can tell you about that, <laughs> a, little, a little foot situation. Um, so, she's rocking and rolling on the ground. So, if you have a little background noise, she might be shifting and rolling around. But... Um, that's cool. No worries. She's on this like infrared amazing pad thing that I want to sleep on all night long. Yeah, it's nice. I don't know where that is. Um, <laughs> so let's jump into this. Caroline, you need to just kind of like introduce yourself, tell our audience a little bit about yourself. Um, yeah. Jump in. Go. Go for so, it. So, hey us. guys. Yeah. <laughs> Caroline here. As she said, I'm rolling around on the floor. So if you hear me, rolling around like a child. You know why. But I am uh, from Kentucky originally, Louisville, Kentucky, born and raised. My mom is from Northern California, so I've got the half hippie in me. (laughs) And then my dad's from Kentucky. Uh, We were raised in a very athletic family. My parents are both athletes. My mom was um, a professional tennis player, and my dad was a swimmer in college and swam all through college. And so we grew up just... uh, always around sports. I was literally that kid in the stroller on the tennis court. So you kind of get used to having that mindset and that, you know, lifestyle, just moving, grooving and everything. So grew up in Kentucky, um, went to college. I grew up swimming, did the whole thing. Is that because of your dad? Did they throw you in the water? That's a good question. Uh, yes, but I also played tennis a lot. Um, I just, I was like really not that serious, you know, as a kid, I was always just like, whatever, you know, like I'm just going to do whatever. And I ended up swimming just, it just took off quicker, you know? And so when I was 13, I made my junior national cut and then, which was like a big deal. Wow. And then I didn't even want to go. It was just the funniest thing. And I wasn't ready and all this stuff. And so I, um, I ended up just getting better at swimming a little bit quicker. And so I went with it and I had this natural, I just took naturally to the water and I loved it. It was my happy place, Um, you know, and just a very serene environment for me. And I felt very like primal in it and everything. Mm -hmm. So it was like my place. Um, And so I, you know, I ended up going to college on a scholarship to the University of Florida and I continued swimming there for, you know, four years. And when I graduated in 2009, did a little victory lap. Um, well, I made victory the Olympic lap. team in 2008, oh. right when I graduated. Oh, wait, wait, wait. You forgot about that. <laughs> okay, hold on. I want to step back. So. Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot within this whole thing. But the synopsis would be that I, you know, went out with a bang after college. So that was fun. Uh, but yeah, it was a long road, you know, throughout all that. This is like the short of the long, <laughs> and then ended up moving out here to train professionally. So I lived in Orange County in Newport Beach, Back Bay, 
commuted to Fullerton, trained there for two years, started at FITM, the Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandising. That was like my transition out of sport, essentially. Mm-hmm. You were um, at the OC campus? Mm-hmm. Cool. And then I transferred to the LA campus, mm-hmm. moved to LA, started working for Lululemon, did some design work there, and then... Uh, you know, realized that I wanted to have a couple of different canvases in my life and have people be one and uh, design things such as swimwear or products or, you know, just any sort of product merchandise development be another canvas. And so um, I went to FITM and then I, you know, went back to school again for sports psychology that was my people part. And then mm-hmm. started a business with Rebecca Zoni on, you know, Olympians mentoring youth athletes. And um, it was a wild road. All of that was just a really long, wild, crazy ride. But it was it was worth it, you know. And I think that that's like the synopsis of my life so far. So that's what brought me out to California a while ago. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, yeah. and we're done. We'll talk to you next week. No, That's um, my life story in a nutshell. And now that okay. you have the framework. So now that we have the framework, we're totally going to get honest. We're going to go back. Um, let's start at birth. Yeah. Um, I'm just kidding. Yeah. So you kind of mentioned how you started the swimming mm-hmm. world. Um, mom, tennis, dad, swimming. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love social media these days. And the problem is my brain moves too fast sometimes because I also follow your brother and you guys have the same initials. Your Instagram handles are about the same. So sometimes I think I'm looking at yours and, and then I'll say something. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm like, shoot. That's in he'll like post something about your dad. I'm like, that's how I swim. You know, it's hilarious. Um, anyways, long story short, you started swimming and let me tell tell the audience you have three kids in your family, right? Yes. So I have two younger brothers younger. and one's, Clark, who's like a year and a half younger, and then Colin is 11 years younger. Okay, Yeah, cool. so he's the baby of the family. He does not swim. He did, but he plays rugby. Oh, wow. At the University of Kentucky. Wow. My brothers are big boys. Like, I'm talking like football player status. Like, they're just big boys, like they're strong muscle. hosses. Yeah, oh, it's geez. great. <laughs> I always wanted a brother. I grew they're up with great. They're great. They're like my bodyguards. <laughs> That's good. That's something yeah, good to have. It is. Um, so, you started out swimming. It came naturally. High school mm-hmm. and club team. What yes. was your club team? Lakeside Seahawks. Lakeside yeah. Seahawks. We had a really unique situation. We um, trained in a rock quarry in what? Louisville, Kentucky. It was like this hollowed out rock quarry. So basically you're like swimming outside in this lake. And it was the coolest thing. I mean, I'm talking like, think like quarries, like Huckleberry Finn style. Yes. Like that's what we trained in growing up. Like outdoors, like always in open water and... That's why I have such a love for open water now. It's just because that's what feels so natural to me, you know? And so um, sometimes I'm like, how was I not an open water swimmer? I know. (laughs) But yeah, it wasn't a big thing back then. It wasn't that big of a deal. It's lifestyle. Yeah. Well, it's changed now. It's like a thing. But um, so that was my club team. And uh, we had a great club team. We had a very close-knit club team that was... Uh, just full of really inspiring individuals that went on to achieve some awesome things. And I remember seeing that just as a young girl. We had a couple Olympians even when I was a younger girl, and it was just cool to see them do their thing and then 
me want to follow in their footsteps, you know, and we had that lucky. Yeah. I think I saw that and I just really got inspired. You know, I remember I named my first stuffed animal after this girl on Lakeside who made the Olympic trial cut in the hundred breaststroke. And I thought that was the coolest thing ever. And so I named my stuffed animal Monroe because her name was Brooke Monroe. And then she went to Auburn. I wanted to go to Auburn. You know, it's just, it's cool to like think back to the people that you looked up to and, um, you know, it's like, it's just cool. It's cool to feel like you're a part of something. And I, yeah. I really appreciated that being a young girl. I think that's so important, especially like the club team. It's kind of like <laughs> junior high. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. that transition. It's a pivotal point. The relationships and yeah. the coaching yeah. are like, make a huge difference. I remember I was a Kansas City Blazer. Yeah. And oh my God, like the coaching. You swam with my buddy Max. Yes. The yeah. Jamins. Oh my gosh. <laughs> shout out. I know them all. I know all the... <laughs> That was fun. Javen's um, a man. Oh He's my the gosh! Best. And his, you know, his younger brother too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that whole thing and the coaching and it's just, it's extreme. It's but extreme. the coaching makes yeah. a huge difference. And I remember yeah. Catherine Fox. Um, mm. she was one of my big idols. Yeah. And I had her. Um, you know, a newspaper clipping about yeah. her, like from the Kansas City Star, yeah. like in my room. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm such a nerd. But yeah. back then it was just so heroic. So totally. let's, let's go into that. Like, so at that age, mm. you think that's like the pivotal point where it kind of started where like, I want to really get on this. Cause that is the time where mm-hmm. you're like, gotta ramp it up. And that's interesting that you say that because I don't feel that I was in that space mentally then but you have the like you're not in this space mentally let me clarify that like to be you know oh my god like I have to be crazy good and this is intense and but there's this like unspoken feeling of support that like you feel from coaches and from everybody that supports you that is like you're gonna be good you know and I think it's trusting that like energy Mm-hmm. Because I remember my coach telling me, like, you're going to be really good. And I think that when you can trust that energy without feeling pressure from that, it's it was something that I maybe took to naturally as well. Um, but, yeah, I, I do remember having some trouble with... <laughs> With feeling pressure at one point because I didn't want to like go to junior nationals or I didn't want to like go to the big meets because I wasn't ready. You know, I would say that to my coach. I'm not ready. Yeah. And so you know that you want to ramp it up at that age, but I think you go based off of the support that you get, you know, Mm -hmm. as well. Because like, you know, you're going to be good, but you know, when you're an impressionable teenage girl, it's like, who believes in me? Like, yeah. I need someone to tell me that I'm like doing well and yeah. you know, you don't admit it, but kind of wanted that. I just want to go to the, the slumber party this yeah, weekend. Yeah, exactly. Of going down to Texas and yeah. sitting at the meet. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Um, so like back at that time, like you, you mentioned Brooke Monroe, but like, yeah. did you have anyone else that was like, your guiding light? Like who was, who was your idol? I love Janet Evans. I oh, love yes. Summer Sanders. Oh, yes. yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember Anita Null, who's now our nutrition expert for Rise. Uh, and it's funny now because Janet and Summer are like friends, you know? And so it's weird. It's like I talk about them like that, but now you feel almost equal to them because we're all retired. And I mean, they have kids and are like, you know, living out here. But well, Janet is. But it's just funny how 
back then it was like such a big deal to look up to them and it still is of course but gosh I felt it's just so lucky to have them you know as like the females that were just rocking it um I mean there's so many more Beth Botsford uh BJ Bedford even Christy Kowal who's also one of our Rise mentors um I also really followed guys because <laughs> of my brother, you know, so I like Lenny Kreselberg and like Gary mm-hmm. Hall Jr. and stuff like that. So it was cool. It was cool to be able to grow up um, in that. And Mary T. Maher was our was on my club team. So she was like an idol for everybody. Like everybody wanted to follow in Mary T's footsteps, you know. So it was like Mary T's member like side, like Madam Butterfly. Mm-hmm. And so being able to have that as like a legacy to reach, it was really neat. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, being on Lakeside. And our, my coach was fantastic, so he was really supportive Gosh. as well. No, I tell you, having someone, like, on your team, especially, that's, like, kind of rooting for you, you yeah, know, or even just kind like of showing you feeling. the ropes and saying, like, chill out. And, I mean, especially at that young age, I mean, I remember I went through a time where I, you know, you can kind of see it in kids, I think, nowadays, where it's, like, if they start to do the whole I don't feel well when it's time mm. for practice, and every single time, like, like I don't no. feel well, it's yeah. like, you know, you're either burnt out or, right. or, or there's some fear thing, yeah. you know, I mean, yeah. superstitions, superstitions, you know, so moving on from, from club team, um, onto high school, yeah. you did high school and then yeah. moved up to college because high yeah. school is the pivotal point of mm. getting into yeah. Did you yeah. do scholarships? Or? I did. And club team pretty much took the place of high school. Although my high school team was, we didn't train with high school teams. So mm-hmm. it's like you just do the high school meets, you know. Oh, got it. Um, but you train with your club team. And then, yeah, I went and visited Florida, Arizona, Texas, Northwestern, Stanford, Cal. And that's it, I think, for my trips. Um, one of those is unofficial. I don't know. <laughs> but I almost went to Arizona. So it was between Arizona and Florida. And the reason was that they both trained with the men. And I wanted to train with men. And it's warm. Yeah, and it was warm. <laughs> and I was like, I need to be by the beach or warmth or something. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I mean, I loved Arizona. I loved Frank Bush. I loved the, the men's and women's team training together. Um, but Florida felt more like home to me. And I had, my cousins had, you know, were from there. And we just visited there a lot as kids. We would always go to Seaside for spring break every year. Mm. You know, it was just like it was more familiar, I think, for me. And I wanted to be on that team. Um, And so I went to Florida. And it was, like, crazy, though. I just, like, couldn't wait to go. And it wasn't that I, like, hated home or wanted to get out. I just never really felt super, like, called to stay in one spot as a teen. Like, I was kind of – I'm a homebody, and everything has to be, like, very organized and, like, in its place. But I'm, like, equally as free of a spirit. Like, just don't care. I can do everything by myself kind of thing. Like, mm-hmm. I love it. And so I was like, get me out of here. I can't wait to go, you know. And I just went to Florida and just absolutely loved it. Um, I mean, Gainesville, tiny town, <laughs> middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that was the only SEC school that I took a trip to, actually. Uh, I didn't to Georgia or Auburn or Tennessee or Kentucky. None of them. Okay, so did you know anyone else going at the same time as you? I sort of knew a girl from Tennessee, from Nashville, Samantha Vanderbilt. Like, I knew her because we were in the same <gasps> LSC. Samantha Vanderbilt from yeah, Tennessee? from Tennessee. And she's a Vanderbilt, too, so it was funny. Um, but Wait, she, she was my roommate, so she ended up being my roommate. 
why didn't she go to Vanderbilt? I know. Well, that's the thing is like you never go to the schools you like think you're supposed to go to. Right, right. <laughs> and you go based off scholarship and off of team and right. off of who else is going to be there. And so I think, um, but yeah, I sort of knew her. So at Olympic trials in 2004, it was right before we went, right before we went to college and I met her there and I remember just being like, oh my God, we're going to be roommates. And she's total opposite of me. Like, oh my God, was the cutest girl with like all like platinum blonde hair and like all these trinkets and like, you know, cute, everything was matching. And like, I mean, she was, you know, and I'm like minimalist, like black (laughs) on black on black on like, you know, like minimal stuff and so we were great as roommates <laughs> like obviously we You're like can I borrow that yeah we like, didn't <laughs> fight over clothes or yeah it's like total opposites so it was really fun um and we had a blast together but she was the only one I knew and we had a class of eight girls so and then like 10 guys I think uh 2004 cool four or five was my freshman year oh my god mm. so so how was it um with the this is because I know freshman year of college is hard for me. I actually yeah. started at TCU. Yeah. And then I transferred back after my first year to Kansas City. And then I eventually transferred out to, actually, I went to FITM as well yeah. in Los Angeles. Yeah. Because I knew exactly kind of what I wanted to go into. Um, I know that, yeah. <laughs> which, I mean, you know, goes down the road. But, yeah. anyways, I just know freshman year was hard. Um, yeah. I opted out for swimming for TCU because I was in a pretty high intense program yeah. for school but um but how was that transition I mean how did you handle it mentally you know health fitness I mean I'm talking because everything is was pretty much regimented for you guys it was a, very regimented a college athlete yeah. like when you I eat was, when you study I was weirdly okay and I think it's because I was not overtrained in high school so freshman year was really good the only thing I do recall was getting strep throat for like two weeks. Ooh. It was like going around, and I do remember that was like awful. And then my mom came to visit because she was like worried about me. It was really cute. But I didn't swim for two weeks, and I felt really like guilty, you know, the whole thing. But other than that, I did. I mean, freshman year was like one of my best years of college. I, I just soaked it up. My body responded well to all of, of the different training. Hmm. Um I didn't miss home at all. Like, I just didn't. I was, like, ready to go. You know, like, it was – I was fine. (laughs) Sophomore year was atrocious. Like, sophomore year was awful for me mentally. I had no confidence. I was – I had gone off of a really great freshman year, and I had so many expectations on me to be the best at everything, to also perform. Um, I had a new boyfriend. Mm -hmm. I was going through just – body changes I like lost too much weight because like you know I just it was like I felt a lot of pressure to be something again um and that was a really hard year for me I did terrible I went into like NCAA's seated first SEC seated first didn't even make it back to finals like same with NCAA's didn't even hardly make it I made it like one event and the year before I had won everything so it was like oh my god like what happened to this girl um and that's how I felt and that was like a really tough year for me and rebounding off of that was tough because essentially what happened was they started training me in long distance and I'm not I get I'm kind of a racehorse and not a workhorse mm-hmm. I um get overtrained in the drop of a dime mm-hmm. like overtraining for me is like 
extremely it's like literally like drinking water like it's that common like it's ridiculous mm -hmm. and it, I sound I laugh when I say that because I know that that can be a story that people tell themselves like oh shoot I was just over but like honestly my that's just the way my body operated best was with lots of rest and very specific training mm -hmm. which I had my freshman mm -hmm. year um and my sophomore year I went from you know specificity of lifting weights middle distance and lots of cycling or like biking, but like, you know, very um, moderate with that intensity. So like if you have an intense day, the next day was like smoother than you have an, you know, but all of a sudden I went from that to no lifting and straight distance training. And my body was like, whoa. So no cross training? No. And so it was, they were like, we think you need more distance. And I was like, this more doesn't make mileage. sense. Yeah. Because that's not the way my body operates. It reason. operates with multiple different things on like a good schedule. And so I didn't have any cross training and I was losing strength. I lost too much muscle. Um, I was, my adrenals were shot. I was literally training with the distance group every day. Um, I wasn't doing any other cross training. So my body was losing specificity. And I felt that, you know, being an athlete and the kind of athlete that I was, I, I wasn't an energizer battery. Like I couldn't just dive in with the distance group and swim straight for three hours. Like that wasn't my style. It didn't cater to my training. It didn't cater to my racing. It didn't cater to my sleep, to my, you know, periods, to like every, like I wasn't getting anything anymore. And it was just like, all right, we need to reassess. So we reassessed and then started training more specificity and, you know, like one or two days of distance a week just for that 400, 800 distance. Um, but I was very lucky in that I didn't need a lot of that for those events for me. Um, I didn't need a lot of distance training to do an 800. For some reason, middle distance was plenty for me. Mm -hmm. um, and so when we could figure that out, then I started to do better again because not only did it help me physically, I bought into the program, which helps me mentally because mm -hmm. I, I, I wasn't buying in sophomore year. I was like, this is bullshit. Like, yeah. I can't do this, you know? And I was, like I was like to losing too much weight. Yeah. And when, I mean, no filter on here, when girls don't get their period or whatever, like your brain gets all weird and like, you know, you just yeah. don't, Got your emotions are all messed up. And I was just feeling really weird. Like I was bland. I didn't have any mojo or drive, um, sophomore year. And so when I finally got all of that back, I felt more driven and more excited to do things. Um, I think something to note here is also my relationships were better when I could communicate what I needed to my coach and what he needed for me instead of just okay. shutting my mouth yeah. and not saying what was working and what wasn't. And that's a pivotal time sophomore year when you recognize okay, I can communicate with my coach now. <laughs> like now that we've had a year where I just like do whatever and like, you know, it works. Like now we can start to like open up Pandora's box of like, what's happening? Like, is this working? Is this not working? You know, and starting to really dive into like what's worked, what hasn't, how we can move forward, how we can grow from freshman year um, in order not to plateau out. Um, so yeah, that was uh, helpful. And then I did a lot better junior and senior year. Um, with that. So let's take a step back really mm -hmm. quickly. So freshman year, you're excited. You're like, I'm on the block. Let's yeah. go. You're at your highest high. Sophomore year, you got a relationship. You had some mental, had mental no discovery. Yeah. yeah. Was, was that like, 
and then you started to communicate. And this, believe me, this is a non-filtered show. I have no filter. Just like, being I think we honest. All know that about me, yeah. No, but that's okay. <laughs> we want to hear that. The audience wants to hear that. I mean, this is what people need to know: is that like vulnerability can come out mm. because we're all vulnerable, yeah. or we all need to practice that vulnerability. Yeah. So sophomore year. You also did learn to use your voice, yeah. which is so important, yeah. um, especially with your training aspect, because who knows, you may have not have gone where you would have gotten if you didn't speak up. You would have gone yeah. back to Kentucky. I yeah, I literally, you. and I remember being like, do I transfer? Like, you know, uh-huh. and, and my coach, um, he was tough. He was a tough coach, <laughs> um, and I didn't know, like, how to navigate that. I was like does he believe in me? Does he not? Like, this is crap. Like, I don't know what to do, you know? And so you assume all this crap and then you don't really ever get to where you want to be because I never spoke up, but you're right. I think that sophomore year was so crucial for me to recognize that I have a voice and I can speak. And I think most athletes should benefit or should know that, you know, that communication with your coach is so crucial to growth not not just saying like ah this isn't working for me and blah 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 but more or less like coming to the realization that your expectations and their expectations may be on different levels so like where are they and where are his and how can you like make them meet somewhere and that was yeah exactly and I mean God it was like my first time like navigating relationships I didn't have relationships in high school with men other than my coach and my dad, you know, like I didn't have a boyfriend. I didn't have mm-hmm. like any upsets. My coach in high school was fantastic. Like we never had issues cause we just communicated wow, you were well. Lucky. Yeah. <laughs> I mean for a team, for whatever a teenage girl communicated with, you know? So he was just awesome. So I didn't know, I didn't get it. I was like, why is stuff going wrong? Oh my God. You know, like mm-hmm. you don't understand like that's life. <laughs> but that was my first glimpse of that. It was was a late bloomer. That's smart (laughs) to say, though. I mean, I was a late bloomer for sure. Um, But, like, you know, that coach, in a sense, is a symbolic um, test of maybe relationships further down in your life of how to thoroughly communicate with, you know, men, you know, relationships, significant others. Yeah. So I think that was a really good practice for you. Um, so moving on from there, Coachy Coach from mm. the Gators. Um, so you went on to to junior and senior year, but when did you have to? Because we're gonna start jumping into um, Olympic trials, and mm. um, when when did you have to do the Olympic trials? Your freshman year. So two thousand four. They were right after my senior year of high school, going into my freshman year. So I hadn't gone to Florida yet. Okay. And then, so, so it hit perfect time for me. Like, it was one of those four-year cycles that hit really well. It wasn't in the middle of anything. So I was done with high school, Olympic trials, going into college, four years, done with college, Olympic trials, or the summer after our senior year was over. Trials. Yeah. And so that, those were the Olympic trials after senior year of college. College. That was That's, just 2008. Those are the ones I made. All right. Let's talk about this. That's a gnarly story. You're I could get into that. Is it yeah. Still? Um, but... Right, so right beforehand was NCAA's, and I did really well. I, I like, broke Janet Evans' record or 18-year-old record, and I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, she's so cool. And then um, I went to Olympic trials. Uh, well, okay, let me back let's, up. Let's go slow. Yeah, so I went to an NCAA's, won NCAA's, broke American record, left NCAA's, Indeed, so burnt know. out. So you, you broke the American record in? 500 free. 500 free. Yeah. Go. So the, I guess 
it took me a really long time to own that, but it was an 18 year old record. And I was like the first woman to break 434. And she was the first woman to ever like break 440. So and she went 435. No, she went 434 and I went 433. And it was like the biggest, just like, oh my God, what just happened kind of moment, you know? But you, it was like the most effortless race ever. Like it didn't hurt at all. And I've never thought that I'd say that. But it, honestly, it was like such flow. And whenever anybody Makes asked me like, what was your like most amazing race? I was like that one because let me tell you, Olympic trials hurt like hell. <laughs> but anyway, so right after NCAA is my senior year, I literally hated swimming. Like it was, I got home and I was like, oh, stoked. We get a break. We get a week off, like, can't wait. I'm going to, like, go party. You know, like, you're all, like, stoked. Like, I'm going to go to the beach. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was wild in college, let's be clear. So, (laughs) I mean, wild as in, like, one night a week. But wild as in, like, not that. Still went to bed at 12, even though I was wild. You know, like, I was that girl that was like, oh, we're at the party. It's, like, 11.45 and going home. And everybody's like, Caroline, we're we're staying out till 4. I'm like, bye. Anyway, so I went to... I went to practice like the day after because we didn't get a break because it was Olympic trial year. And I was like, so mad. I like dragged my equipment bag and on pool deck and I had the worst attitude ever. And I remember coach was like, what the hell is your problem? And I was like, I effing, excuse my language, hate swimming right now. Like I can't believe I'm here. Blah, blah, blah. Like I was just so mad. So mad. And I had, like, I was feisty sometimes, you know, like I could say those things. And I think I may have had a little bit of an entitlement feeling too, because I was like, I just won. I got like, did well. And like, I'm team captain and like, no one can throw me a freaking bone here. Like, I just want a couple days off to regroup. Like, I'm burned out. You know, like I was being a little bit of a diva probably. (laughs) And so, I mean, not like outwardly, but internally, you know, kind of like that feeling. And so he was just like, you turn your ass around and get the hell out of here until your attitude changes. And I was like, I quit. So I quit. I quit, quote unquote, for like X amount of time. So this was like a pivotal point, actually. Okay. So that day, I like, I quit. And I like grab my equipment bag. I'm like running to the bathroom. I mean, mind you guys, I'm making an episode at the University of Florida. Like, we're like a Division One like NCAA top three program. And I'm like throwing a hissy fit in front of the team. I'd never done this. And I was just so fed up. I wanted a break and I was so tired. And I felt like I wasn't being appreciated. It was like this whole thing. But what I recognized, well, I'll get into that in a minute. I go into the bathroom and the woman's coach had followed me because I'm like in tears. And she was like, what's wrong? And I was like, I just feel like I'm just blah, blah, blah. Like I'm, you know, freaking out. And she was like, exactly, you're freaking out. She was like, so this isn't really about you needing a break and like not being appreciated. This is about you all of a sudden having pressure on yourself. Mm. Because right after NCAAs, everybody was like, oh my God, Burkle's like slated to make the Olympics now, like the whole thing. And I was like, holy shit, I'm not ready for this. The Olympics. Yeah. I was like, I'm not ready for this. Like this is so gnarly. So that was the pressure. So and recognizing that now, of course, but anyway, so we go into the locker room. She's like, you know, calming me down. And all of a sudden you hear this big bang on the door and this coach, he's like, open the door. And Holly's like, she's naked. And I'm like, I can't come out there. I'm naked. You know, like crying. And so, and so finally, like I put clothes on, I go out in the middle room in the team room and I'm sitting there with coach and Holly, the assistant female coach. And he's just like, 
ripping into me and I'm ripping into him and we're just screaming and then we go up in the office and we're ripping into each other for two hours and it's just like the whole, this is the dumbest stuff ever. Like we're going way back about times that he was mean to me and you know, it was literally like a father-daughter fight or like, you know, like, like the dumbest things now that I think about it. But to all of like the younger people listening, it was huge. Like it was a big thing. So I remember he pulled out a sticky note and this was April. So we had just finished. And so it said April 7th, 2008. And he stuck it on his cork board. And I looked up and this was like after three hours, like he skipped the whole workout. Like other coaches coached the team when I'm upstairs in his office crying from like two to five <laughs> PM. <laughs> and so, um, and you know, him and I had had an gnarly ride for a while. Like it was tough. Like we, I was, it was tough. Like he was tough on me for a lot of years and I was always pleasing. And so we went over all that and, um, and then he just said, the rest of this time is for you. He said, I've been hard on you. I've like, I know that you've tried to please me and you've tried to please everybody. Like you're always trying to do a lot for everybody else. Cause you've been on a team. The rest of this time is for you. You have two months before we have Olympic trials. We start on your birthday because Olympic trials started on my birthday. Like I swam one event on my birthday and he was like, you know, starting now, I want you to buy into what you're doing. I want you to be committed and I want you to feel like you're doing this for you. And he goes, and until then, don't come back to practice until you figure that out. Like what it is that you want to do mm-hmm. other than all this other bullshit and people are telling you what the media is saying about you, what everyone's interviewers are doing, what people are calling you trying to get to know. And, um, this is about you. So figure that out. So I took like 48 hours, didn't go in, went, went to my counselor's office to my, like sat there and cried. Like I did all the time. (laughs) She's like, went there, and I I probably sound like a mess on here. I really didn't cry that much, but, um, so I went, uh, I went back to practice like you know, April 11th or something. I remember it was my mom's birthday and I talked to her in the morning and I was like, I'm going to practice. And she was like, why do you sound so like down? I was like, I haven't been in three days. And she was like, why? And I was like, cause I had to figure out why I was doing this for me. And she was like, well, that's a valid point, you know? And so she yeah. kind of slapped me into place a little. So I went back into practice and I'll never forget that exact day. We did four 200s from a push outdoors. A push. And it was the first time ever in my life that I pushed a 203 from a push to a free. And I had zero, like we come off taper. I was like still tapered probably, you know, like a super tapered, like feeling great. And I mean, pushing a 203 is like really fast for a female. Yeah, like my best time was like a 157 from the box, like shave tapered, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so I was like, holy crap. And I remember like the whole, like all the coaches were going wild, like I beat all the boys and they were all like, what the hell, you know, like all pissed. And one of the assistants, Martin pulled me out and he was just like, and Nesty, Anthony Nesty, who was a former Olympian, they pulled me out and they just said, that right there will make the Olympic team. That girl right there will make the team. So whoever that is, bring her back every day. And like be committed. And I had the next like eight weeks lights out training until we tapered again. And I just, I don't know what switched in me. I think that I just recognized that like there were a lot, there was a lot of noise out there and I was paying attention to what everybody else wanted for Caroline. And so that was like a big pivotal moment to where it was like, what do I actually want? I don't know, but I do know that since I was a little girl, I want to make that damn team. So we go to Olympic trials. Um, They're in Omaha, Nebraska. And I... We had the 400 the first day 
I miss making the team by one spot. Um, I was going through a tough time with a relationship at Olympic trials. And so I was almost like feeling very, you know, it, it, which was, it was, it was fine. We supported one another, but it was just tough for me. I think that I was like snapping back into like what everybody else wants for me, you know, kind of mindset. And so I realized that night I like snapped my mind back around and I was like, damn it, tomorrow's the tutor free. If I make, you know, you make, um, Preliminaries are in the morning when you make semifinals at night if you make top 16. And then the following day is finals, which is top eight. So mm-hmm. I was like, if I can make it to the top 16 at night, which I was seated fourth, like I should have. But if I make it to, to top 16, I'm making that freaking team. Mm-hmm. Like it was like my mind was set, you know. So I made it top 16. I think I was seated like third going into top 16. And then I was seated like third going into top eight. And oh my God, that race was the hardest thing I've ever done. Like I have zero, I'll never forget looking at the 25 mark on the bottom of the pool at the last 25 of the 203. And <gasps> I, I remember the the, vividly oh. like, like just zero feeling in my limbs. Like not, it was all heart. Like you literally have, like I like, I I'm moving? hurting right now thinking about it. Like it was, you literally don't know if you're actually going to finish. Yes. Like it's that or, hard. Am I swimming backwards? Two, 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 four hundreds all out, two, two hundreds all out. And like you're literally at the Olympic trials, which is a 10 day long meet with like a huge basketball arena of people. Like you're freaking out. You know, there's so many nerves that you just have to contain and be and practice yeah. what you've used over the years. And so I finally was just like, you know, I, I'll never forget just like, you know, I was in second and then I, I mean, I got fourth in the race, but it was just like, oh my God. You know I mean? They take four. I was like, holy shit. Like, I mean, it was like the most like amazing feeling, but at the same time it was just, you know, it was like, you still feel like you could have done better. And that was like hard for me. Cause I was like, I could have made the 400 individually. I could have done better in the 200, but you made the team. So exactly. you take what you can get. And then you go forward from there. So, um, yeah. And then you have like six weeks until the Olympics. So they <laughs> the ship point? you off. Well, they, they put the team together yeah. and ship you off to training camp. So we're all together in Palo Alto for four weeks. We trained there. And then we went straight to Singapore to acclimate to the time change for 10 days. And we're tapering there. I started tapering in Palo Alto because I tapered a lot. But then, and then you go to China. So, so okay. the whole team's together. Like they assemble the whole team and you are together right from the moment you leave Olympic trials. When you touched the wall at Olympic trials at the end of that race that you couldn't feel your limbs, what was your immediate thought? What was your immediate reaction? So you smash into the wall and you look up at the clock. I knew I I made it. Like I, I knew that I did. And the reason why is because I was only three and I could see on that last 25, I could see the people over there and the people behind me over here. Like, so you know that you're going to make the top four. Mm. Like, you 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 have the feeling, even though you're not looking, you've been swimming and training yourself long enough to know where people are in a race. And you can see their wakes. I could see in my... And, and keep in mind, we've all this... This whole heat of girls has raced each other for... Multiple times. But, like... <laughs> Like five dozen times. Oh, I get it. Like, you know, the exact race strategy of everybody. Like, so you know exactly what's happening. You know, who's going to take it out faster and who's going to die. Like, you kind of know what people's styles are. And it's like, 
doesn't discount that anything can happen, of course. Um, but yeah, so you knew. Yeah. So then you went to sh- when you got to Shanghai. It sounds weird, but you just know, you know. But oh. it was like, oh my god, I was so tired. I was so tired. I was so relieved. I was so relieved. But anyway. So you got to Shanghai, though. I want to talk about. We went to the Singapore. Of- oh, excuse me. Yeah, Singapore. no, you're fine. You're oh, fine. much. A little bit different. It was really pretty. Oh, it's the, one of the most cleanest, cleanest countries. You couldn't have gum. Don't, yep, don't chew your gum. I didn't chew Can't gum. Spit. Can't I had hands. gum and almost got arrested. That was yep. that was funny. Um, Remember that? Yeah. So that yeah, they clean the cars, but that was a great experience. Singapore was cool. So you went to Singapore, but then because um, I want to ask because you when you guys did get to Beijing, mm. um, and then we're we're gonna tap back into a couple of other questions I have. Um, I want to know about the air quality because I know obviously it was pretty bad and before the races they tried to, you know, reduce everyone's pollution. Well, Singapore was so nice. I know. And then you go from there to Beijing and it was like literally, I mean, it's June gloom out right now. It's like that, like every, like that's what it looks like, but that's not, yeah, it's pollution. So we had like those little masks on and they tried to filter the air in the village, but it wasn't, I mean, you can't really do that. It's like not that accurate i mean you can but i think they just had like these massive fans that were like sucking (laughs) things out but um we didn't really honestly have a whole lot of interaction with the external world like you're in the village and then they like ship you and shuttle you to the pool and back like you don't have the ability to really do or go anywhere else just because you're competing and olympics i mean swimming's 14 days long like there's no way. I mean, you're to the pool, from the pool, to the pool. You don't go see other venues. You mm-hmm. don't really go watch other. Break. No. And, I mean, that it was cool, but, like, you know, everybody else is competing at the same time, and that's what people forget about the Olympics is it's kind of like you're competing, but it's like, no, you don't get to go watch the other stuff, really, because they're competing, too. So simultaneous competitions. And you that you, yeah, and you've got to go rest and recover and ice bath and eat and massage and acupuncture and blah, blah, blah. Like, it's endless you don't have time to really just dilly dally and go see things unless you're done um Which and you don't then want to be done. if you can like <laughs> yeah like if you're done racing you can like sneak to a venue not sneak but like hit a venue in the middle watch some track and field and then go back to finals at night you know like they do give you that ability but it's just tight if you are still competing so let's put it this way michael phelps didn't have any time to see anybody but yeah. himself so um that's the misconception about about that too is that you're like so focused and in it that you don't have the ability to focus on anything else like you are in the zone and you see very few things other than what's in your direct view but the pollution was gnarly and honestly at that point you can't focus on that though like you can't think about it because if you think like it's not going to change yeah, exactly. You're in China. You're at the Olympics. Like, you're not going to change the, the country's pollution levels with yeah. by yourself. In and 14 so, days. Yeah. And so I think that it was just one of those moments where it's like, all right, you know. And they prepared us. Like, they prepared us hardcore. Like, it was like, here's the issues. Here's what we're going to do. Here's what you need to look out for. We have filter, filtering in the building. Like, you know, if you have this and this. Like, so they prepare you. So was it, when you went to China, was it kind of like when you went to Florida as a freshman in college, were you super amped up, not homesick, or were you like, I'm going to the Olympics? Uh, Good analogy. I was actually that. I was actually super amped up and fine. Like I, and my roommate was Alison Schmidt, so we like had a blast and we're totally goofy. Um, 
Yeah, it was fun. I don't remember. I was more, way more nervous before I even got to China than I was when we were in China. I, I think that when you get into an environment where you have to be ready, something shifts, but I think the anticipation before you get there is even worse. So mm-hmm. like Singapore is oh, high stress. Like people in Singapore are like, oh God, it's almost coming. You know, like that's worse mm-hmm. than just getting there and being like, we're here. We're good. Like, figure out your surroundings. Like, new place again. Like, ah, you know. But when you're in Singapore and you're, like, anticipating all these things and there's, like, people telling you this and that and, like, security guards telling you that, like, something, you know, you're just like, oh, my God. Like, there's so (laughs) much happening, you know. And so I think that that's almost more nerve-wracking than actually being in China um, at the Olympics. So So let me ask you, um, let's talk about a little bit about, like, the health and nutrition aspect about training (laughs) on this aspect. McDonald's in the village? Wait, okay, because I know, I know me personally, how like when I was training like hardcore, um, I mean, I was a breaststroker. And so like when I was like hardcore, like I was like a little football player. Like I was like, jack shoulders. Yeah. And like you eat totally, you eat to perform. Uh And like now, of course, I'm like, I'm vegan Mm -hmm. and all that jazz um, because life is different. But like, how did you, how did you eat? I mean, back then, I feel like, there wasn't a lot of people that, you know, were yeah. like, eat this, eat that. Like, tell me about we kind just of ate everything what you had to do. Right. Um, but I never had dairy. Like, so I didn't eat dairy just because it. I was allergic to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found that out freshman year. No, yeah, freshman year. Um, College. Yeah, and I kept having awful breakouts and like random bacteria infections and all this crap and it was so weird and finally I went in to get tested and I was allergic to a couple strains of of dairy and it was just and I don't even remember what they are at this point but I remember being like all right so once I could take that out and I stopped having those reactions that was huge um and some things don't really upset me it was just like the raw like you know things so I cut that out which was helpful I think for my performance um but I, you know, I ate all the meat, I ate all the fish, I ate all the grains and sweet potato. I ate everything. I, yeah. Although I will say, I've always been a health nut. Like, I've never eaten fried food in my life. Like, I know everybody's like, holy cow. I just haven't. You like, haven't? Not really. Like, not even like French fries? I mean, French fries maybe, but like, yeah. I'm not like, I'm from Kentucky and we would go to KFC and I'd get like the grilled chicken. Like, that's just my mindset. I was always in that place. Yeah. Um, which is funny. But I think that it's just, it's something that when you can start to really understand your body, and I Mm -hmm. had a a gift to really feel my body, um, the connectivity of it. Like I felt, I felt my body. A a lot of people weren't in tune with theirs and that's no offense to them. But I I think I just, I felt things. And so like when I knew what was working for me. Like you felt uh, moods, I can feel like something in me in two seconds. Like if I eat something wrong, I'm like, oh my God, I feel like shit. You know, it's like, and I know it's mental, it's psychosomatic. No, it's not. It's awareness. Yeah, it's awareness. And so I was starting to become really aware and mindful of what I was putting in my body. I didn't even like to take Advil. I didn't even, like, I hated stuff. Like, I wouldn't take naproxen when I had a bad hip. It's like, I just didn't want to take anything, you know? And and they try and churn that stuff into you, and I just didn't want any of it. Um, And so I think, like, when I was junior year of college, I really started to focus more on getting my nutrition in line. But 
I didn't, I mean, I, I didn't really have any restrictions other than just like crappy food. I mean, I had a sweet tooth, of course. Like Lucky I, charms. Yeah. Like granola. I would eat so much granola. I'm just <laughs> like, oh my God. But like, you know, uh, I liked chocolate and like candy stuff. Like, you know, Mike and Ike's and like all that <laughs> dumb stuff. Like, you know, uh, good and plenty and blah, blah, blah. But, but you I were burning a, so much. Yeah. But I also, I was depleted in a lot of areas too. You know, like my iron levels were always really low, which mm-hmm. was strange um, because I was eating all of the dark leafy greens and all of the meat possible and everything that was quote unquote full of iron. Um, but a lot of females do have naturally. Though. Yeah, because we're training so much. Mm-hmm. And so I think it was just an awareness, but yeah, I didn't eat anything. I mean, I ate a very normal balanced diet. Um, I'm trying to think of like anything, but I didn't really become aware of certain implications of different foods until I was retired. Right. Right. Because, um, I think, I mean, especially at that time, like the, the Olympics, they really didn't have, I mean, I feel like now it's like much more like, you know, people will be like, well, I'm plant-based. And so, like, at the Olympics, it's more they like, have a like dr- a, they have yeah. options like that. More like international, you know, things that people... We had, like, like all sorts awareness. of different foods. Like, they had, like, foods from every but country. But you didn't have a traveling nutritionist, a traveling... With the Olympic team? But... I not know. me, personally. With I, the Olympic team, we had, like, five nutritionists. For Michael? Everything was... No, for all of us. <laughs> oh. Yeah, no, for all... I mean, they, we had every meal catered at, Camps and but the, here's they have like, you on this a plan. What to say about like nutrition standards per, yeah. per that, it's completely run by giant conglomerates. So it might be Tyson or whatever. This it's definitely thing. better now than it was. Exactly. Yeah, I agree on we that. We definitely didn't have any. Yeah, I mean, it's not like sustainable food, <laughs> right? But as far as like plans, they did have us on like plans for our bodies, which was good. At least you know because for different events need different stuff like sprinters need more of this and you know it's like everybody needed different stuff and they did pay good attention to that but the sourcing of our food and like where it was from and we didn't have any knowledge of that (laughs) we didn't have any knowledge of that like we didn't even know like anything you know um we drank a lot of sugary sports drinks i do remember that yeah and florida was sponsored by gatorade so we would like eat gatorade bars and all that jazz. But yeah, it's interesting how much that's changed. And sometimes I do wonder like what my life would have been like if I would have had different types of foods. But I think anybody can say that. I mean, mm-hmm. Michael's eating crap and he's setting XYZ records. So I think it's just, it, it. times are changing. People are getting better, but you can't be like, what if, you know? And I think that's the hard part now is that, you know, it's easy to fall back into that. That's the beauty of growing up in life, I think, is that when you do get older, you realize that you can't, you you constantly ask yourself, what ifs, Mm -hmm. what ifs, what ifs, what if I didn't, you know, what if I was not in that relationship? What if I did not transfer schools? What if I was not the youngest child? Blah, blah, blah. Um, It's so true. But you realize it's there for a reason, you know? So let's move on from there. Um, so race day, 
Tell us a little bit about race day, and then we'll kind of move on because I'm yeah. going in. I'm going in a circle. I know where I'm going here. No, yeah. I mean, race day. We had prelims in the morning, prelims at night, finals in the morning for TV. Uh, so race day was just. It was like a blur, you know, and it's like you kind of just get into this place of, of autopilot. Did you sleep that night? So you had prelims at what time? Prelims were at night, so it was just flip flops. So like prelims were at night, finals were in the morning, just for TV's sake. Wait, back in America, the morning the next day though. Yeah, so yeah. like it's really strange. Did I sleep that night? Yeah, I mean not great, but you're just ready to. Honestly, it sounds really bad. You're just like ready to do it and be done. You're like so tired. You've been on the road for like... Like trained. Yeah. And you're just like, damn it. This is the best time yeah. of my life. Like just freaking do it. You know, like you're yeah. just like determined at that point to just do it. Two minutes. Let's yeah. Go. Like just do it and be done. Like not in a... I think someone's knocking at the door. Yeah. That sounded weird. Sorry guys. <laughs> uh, but you know, there's... It was like there... You want to be done, but you want to be... I don't know. You're ready to be done, but not in, like, a negative way. You're just, like, I just want all this stuff I've worked for to, like, be out there. You know? <laughs> it sounds like someone's at our door, guys. We think that there's someone. Someone's breaking in. They're bringing us delivery. Okay, so we'll just keep talking. Hopefully we won't die. Yeah. No. Um, okay, so you're ready to be done. I've felt that exact same way. Yeah. I mean, even though I didn't go to the Olympics, but, like, state meet. You know? Yeah. I mean... Same exact thing, yeah. you know, those, and, and then you, it's so funny because you realize you step back and you're like, it's only a couple minutes of my entire and it's life. it's not necessarily like a bad thing to want to be done. It's almost like you're excited to like perform. perform. Yeah. Yes. Jinx. Yeah. <laughs> that was scary. I know, right? Um, and then, so you make it to finals. Yeah, made it to finals and Tell then that day. Oh, yeah. finals. And honestly, that day was like so quick because you're like wake up in the morning we gotta go. and go. Yeah, like you're you have finals in the morning and then you're done. Like literally. But what was your talk? Uh, you know, like, that was a hard morning, though. I won't lie. Only because we were seated. We were supposed to win. We mm -hmm. got third. Now, I'm very grateful we got a medal at the Olympics. But. Wow, like four by two is a tough race. Mm -hmm. um, China was on it, and Australia was really good. I mean, they were just, they were obviously really good. Um, China was surprised a little bit. Not big surprise, but I mean, not a surprise because they were performing so well at the Olympics in general, but uh, since it was their home country and everything. But we got third. It was really exciting, but we definitely were a little bit bummed, which is interesting. And so I guess, like, I know that, you know, people may be listening to this thinking, and not to put thoughts in your head, but gosh, bum, you got third in the Olympics. Like, why are you bum? But take away the name Olympics. If you're seated first in anything and you get third, like, you're a little bit bummed only because you want to know what you could have done better. And I think that that's a very human nature thing. It's not, um, when you get to that level, like it doesn't really matter. The pool's 50 meters. You're the same thing you're doing all the time. Like you kind of put the shield of like the pressure of the word Olympics out of it because you're just doing what you do all the time and you're racing. And so that's like why that was hard. And do you think you all now, did you talk after that race? You're all four of you and say, I mean, cause I know me personally and I would have 
I would have had that instant guilt of, was it me? Was it me? Yeah, it wasn't anyone's fault. I mean, that really wasn't what it was. It was honestly just race strategy. I think, you know, they were really on it. The other two teams were on it. And we just, we did the best we could, but they put in some crazy performances. Like, really wild. Yeah, like, to the point where it was like, were they on something? They were all dropping stuff. Yeah, like we were like, holy shit, you, you know, like what happened? Do you ever think if someone do do they test you guys? Oh, they test us after at every, the race. Yeah, like I mean, we got tested. You get tested dozens of times within all of this. Like I think I was tested, and I swam one race. I think I was tested like six times over uh, the span of the Olympics, and then over the span of like trials, I was tested probably six or seven times, and then after. Trials. You're tested in between. You're tested at camp. You're tested. Right. I mean, they don't mess around. Like you're tested all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but so you can imagine how many times Michael's tested. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so for sure. I mean, it was for sure um, a thing. And then, so you're finished with the race. How did you feel after you kind of, you know, you're like, we got bronze, guys. Let's be happy. Yeah, we you know we I mean? put like, on the yeah. We were just like, you know what, this celebrate? is great. Yeah. Um, well, the other two, two of the girls still had another race oh. in the meet. And this was like, they, so there were a couple more days. So they just, you know, you got to like reset, yeah. like mm-hmm. get going. I was done. So I was like, whatever. I didn't even warm down. I was like, peace out. Like at nice. this point, actually, I thought my career was over. Like I was pretty much ready to be done. Um, and so I didn't really know what, how to handle it. I just knew that I needed to put my hat back on for the rest of the team and be there in the stands with the rest of the team for the rest of the your family of the time. Yeah, but we don't you don't sit with them at yeah. all. Like the spectators are on one side and the athletes are all on the other. So um it's all very like securityed off. You know, you don't really even get to see your family. Like I think I give gave them two hugs the whole time. You know, cuz mm-hmm. like to even get over there is a lot and so anyways, that was really a special day and um just standing in front of the world on the podium and it was just cool. It was really cool. You know, I think, of course, did you want to hear your Olympic anthem, national anthem at the Olympics? Yeah. Yes. But, you know, we heard Australia's. It was fantastic. One of my best friends was on the gold medal winning team. I'm actually seeing her this Friday. Cool. She's in town in LA. Um, and so it's, you know, it's a really cool feeling to standing in front of the world and also very scary because you sit there and you're like what else is going to feel like this you know like the whole world's watching and so that was like then the start of my identity crisis <laughs> oh jeez so that's like a whole nother podcast we could do but we can that you know that was a really big um a really big moment too for sure because I was going to ask that because um, yeah. so you, you go back to the United States. I love, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm still jibber jabbering and getting no, on a tangent. I have a couple of more things. I've like gone a lot about the process and this is actually good. We could do two podcasts, we process could. and um, Afterlife. yeah, because I think that it's, it's a really valuable thing for people to understand that like whether it's a sport or it's a job or it's school or whatever. We all put this identity into what we're doing and it's like the only thing that you know. And until you really are faced with something that's like, that's not me anymore, you know, like I'm changing, uh, you don't know how to handle it. Because that was your relationship. That was everything. Like you absolutely have no identity or clue who you are. And then it's like, and then it's like, 
you're done with that competitive swimming and it's like you hit puberty. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so you thought your, you thought your racing career was over though. Yeah. I didn't, and you said it wasn't. wasn't. I, well, I took six months off from, well, and five at this time you, gra- you were graduated. No, I was oh. still in school. Yeah. So I still had another semester. Um, I took a really easy semester the, the semester before all the trials because I wanted to. So I did like dumb classes that didn't count for anything because I didn't want to be stressed, but I wanted to be, yeah, but I wanted to be like, you know, uh, still engaged in, in something else besides swimming. So I finished my, I did my victory lap. Um, I had a blast. I would hang out with the gymnast. We would just go work out and do random stuff. Like, you know, I just didn't, I got away from the swimming world to be honest. I needed a break. Um, I was just totally mentally and emotionally done. Um, my relationship ended. It was hard. Um, and I was just ready to be done. And it was just like, I was free. I was like, I'm going to do whatever I want. I went to Vegas three times. I <laughs> like, I mean, it was just like, I, I was this lost girl, you know, and that's honestly what I was. So then I went back to swimming. I thought, okay, I don't know what to do, so I'm going to go back and swim. So there were two professional teams, one in Baltimore and one out west. And so you can go there because they wouldn't allow us to swim with the NCAA teams anymore when you were done. This Mm -hmm. is like a new rule. They changed it back. But so we, if you want to train professionally, you move to one of those two areas. So I was like, I ain't going to Baltimore. It's too cold. (laughs) So I'm going to go out to California. And so I moved out here. I lived with one of my best friends, Katie Hoff. Uh, Anderson now and um, I was on the relay with her in Beijing she was also on that relay Um, we've been friends forever and we trained out in um, Fullerton we lived in Orange County trained in lived in Newport trained in Fullerton Um, and then that was the start of my last bout of a career and I consider this like the boyfriend you go back to because like you you know you're just like I'm not sure if I'm done yet you know and I think that that was that was a really beautiful time for me because I did really well. I learned a lot of new ways to train. I really enjoyed it, but it was very, I was ready to transition. I just didn't know how. And that was what FITM was good for. Cause simultaneously I was in art school, you know, and I loved that. And that was like mm-hmm. a nice transition out of mm-hmm. swimming. Um, so I swam until 2010 and then I'll never forget my last race. I it was at Irvine. It was nationals. I, I was just, I, I didn't even want to go to the meet. I was like, you know, I had gotten third at a world champ trials instead of second, like in two events, like a little bit before that. And then I went to nationals and I was just like, just so ready. I'm just over this. Like, I feel like my life is more than this for some reason. Easy route would have been to just keep swimming. And I know I could have gone to the games in 2012, but I just didn't have it in me. And, um, I crawled out of the pool after the two and free. I think I got dead last in my heat. And I was like, I just lost my passion for this. And it was like, a breakup, you know, I was like, I'm just, I'm over you kind of thing. (laughs) So I crawled to the warm down pool and Amanda Beard's like holding me and I'm like crying and I'm like, I'm just done. Like, and I'm okay. I'm like at peace with this right now. I'm just done. Mm -hmm. And I've never gone back. That was it. To competing. That was it. Yep. That was the last thing I knew it wasn't easy, but I almost wanted to struggle again. I wanted to suffer again. I knew that that was inevitable. I knew that the comfortable way would be to stay and train and just make the next team. No offense to anyone that ever does that. I think it's fantastic. But for me, I was staying way too comfortable. Do you, can I ask you mm-hmm. a vulnerable question yeah. about this? 
do you think you went back and you wanted the terrible breakup yeah. of that to give you the ultimate out? Mm-hmm. 100, 100%. I always try to find the most painful things to have as signs. Yeah. <laughs> and that was uh, a theme in my life. Um, and that started probably from a young girl. You know, it's kind of like, what is so hard that I can overcome and like that I can feel like I'm you know, doing and succeeding in and like, you know, creating this like crazy hard path so that I can like have this self-fulfilling prophecy and like be like, I like did that and I'm done and like I overcame it and like look at me now kind of attitude. And so I did that my whole life, like whether it was swimming or whether it was school or whether it was moving or whatever, it's like, look, I'm here now. Woo, look at me go. But it was never that. It was always just this internal self-fulfilling prophecy Mm -hmm. thing. Uh, and so I recognized that I kept bouncing from things to like have this painful situation occur so that I could like feel like I was important or significant and then move on. And it was like the feeling of overcoming an obstacle, like how great that felt. And so that started that whole like addiction to that, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think that I got really obsessed with like accolades and like finishing things and doing the next thing and doing the next thing and doing the next thing just so I could prove to myself that I could do it and overcome something and like be the best the next thing when really it was not even about that outcome. It was about like the whole process, which I didn't understand mm-hmm. at that time. Um, yeah. So cool. I don't know if that made sense. It makes complete sense. <laughs> I just I'm, went off on a tangent. I really, I know I'm really good about <laughs> that too. Um, but I do, I, I want, I do probably want to make this like a two-part series. Yeah. Because we're we're running. I don't want to. This is like good though, and I really I I want the audience to know I have a lot to say on the depression topic, the identity topic. Um, We can continue going if you want to keep going. I have all the time in the world. It's up to you, because we're on a roll. I can talk for like. 20 more minutes. Okay, we'll talk for 20 more minutes okay. and see how far we come. Okay. okay. I think I can do what I need to do. Now okay. that I've teased everybody Look, and it's okay. like totally Woo, not a tease. Okay. Teaser. So, so you broke up with swimming. Yeah. You broke up with swimming. And it's so funny to say because I went from Florida out to California to you and I have very similar um, paths. I lived in Newport before I came up here. Mm. Um, so you broke up with swimming and now we're on the, the gift of who the F am I? Oh my God. When did that start? <laughs> Who the F am I? Young lady. When did that start? Do you think it started at a young oh, age? Oh, for do you think it started- sure. I mean, I think that, and that's why we do what we do now with our mentorship program is I think that every athlete goes through this feeling of like only knowing something, right? For so long. And I only knew myself as a swimmer. It wasn't that I, my family or my parents weren't supportive and giving me identity and, and, purpose as a human being because they were fantastic at it. Um, but I, my choice was that I didn't think that I was able to pursue anything else other than what I was good at. What you started. What I started. Um, so I went to FITM and then I moved to LA campus cause you have to move to the LA campus after a certain amount of time in Orange County. And it was perfect timing because I just retired and I was like, perfect. Now I'm done swimming. My lease is up in a month. Like it was a perfect storm of like, I'm moving to LA. Yeah. So I moved to Beverly Hills. I lived with Haley Pearsall, a triathlete. She was one of my friends, went to Auburn. 
she was really good triathlete, like trained three times a day, crazy triathlete. Like, you know, never saw her. Yeah. She's fantastic. (laughs) Um, great girl. And her older brother, Aaron was on the Olympic team with me. He was, he was my, my brother. Yeah. He was, he's been my brother for a dozen years here. Um, and you know, it was, it was probably the lowest time in my life before the lowest time in my life. <laughs> Let's talk. Yeah, we're, so I, I was like just really lost. I, I ended up working, for, I was working for Lululemon at the same time, which was fun. I knew a swimmer that ran the Beverly Hills store and she recruited me into work in conjunction with school. And I thought that if I kept myself busy enough and kept doing, 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 that I could distract myself from the real shit. Now, that wasn't to say I needed a job. Like, I need a job. I need to make money. Like, I'm living in L.A., you know. Um, But you didn't want to see yourself. But I didn't want to see myself. And so I kept kept pushing myself to do these things, like, you know, have a job, go to school, like, get all of these degrees and all this stuff um, that I love. I will say, I loved both of those things. I loved Lululemon, and I loved... Fitum. I did so much, but I didn't know what my purpose was at either of those. I was just going through the motions, but it was very crucial that I was part of a community at that time. Exactly. So I just needed a community. I needed people to work out with. I needed things to do. Um, and so I moved from Beverly Hills when I graduated Fitum down to San Diego. And San Diego was a swimmer company, uh, sorry, a activewear company that many of you might know of as Montiel. Um, and they started Ashbrook, the Ashworth, the golf clothing company or whatever. And then they switch over. Anyway, Montiel is a big brand now. Like a, anyway, so I just wasn't aligned. Like I was like, this is not what I want to do. Like I just, all of a sudden it was like, I don't pretty corporate very, but it was also very, um, I'm on the phone sourcing garments from China or like fabrics. Like it wasn't aligned actually with what I, and I will say it wasn't just me not liking it. Like I was just not aligned with that position. There was no color. There was no purpose. I wasn't interacting with humans. Like I was just like, this is not actually aligning with me. It was really good practice. I'm going to stick it out till this point and see what happens. So I stuck it out. Loved my roommate there. Had a blast in San Diego. Loved San Diego. Um, but I stayed there for like a year and then I like broke down on my mom on the phone and I was like, I'm moving home. And she was like, what's going on? And I was like, I think I'm depressed. And she was like, no, really? And I'm like, actually, yeah, the past like three months, I literally just sit in my room in the dark. Like when I come home from work and I'm just not happy. Um, little do you see. Right. And this is before social media. So like people aren't like looking at your life really that much. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, uh, I moved home to Kentucky. Bought a house, don't know why, but I bought a house. And I went into counseling, into therapy for two years. Um, And she is just the most incredible human being. But I went into therapy for a multitude of reasons. Uh, I didn't have an identity. (laughs) That's a start. I went through a significant amount of emotional abuse, physical abuse, and needed to get some help. So I went... Physical abuse from yourself? No, not from myself. Okay. So I went into um, counseling and therapy for that cool. because mainly emotional, mental yeah. abuse. Um, but I think, you know, my body was so physical in my life that I just like grinded out. Kept going. And it was just 
done. Like it was so done and my adrenals were so shot and my, I was also stopped getting my period again and lost way too much weight. And so what my body does during stress. Yeah. So um, yeah. So I went into therapy and I, you know, I was back home. I think I literally saw my parents like four times in two years just because I was like, I want to be independent, you know, and they're like worried sick about me. Like, is my daughter okay? She's mm-hmm. like lost 20 pounds. Like she looks like a stick, like she's not healthy. And meanwhile, I was literally eating everything in sight. I was just, nothing was sticking. Like I was just not happy. I was really depressed. Um, but I was also in a very emotional state of purging a lot of, of guilt and shame and pain and, um, anger actually. Can we, can we step back? Yeah. You felt shame. I just, I was really scared of who I was. <laughs> now we have a, a lawnmower in the It's background. okay. It's spring. You can close the window and I can. It's play. okay. Um, and, you know, I was really scared of who I was and I didn't know who I was. I didn't have any sort of idea about who Caroline was. And I know that sounds really cliche. Like, well, nobody knows who you are, but I was just like, just absolutely depressed. Like the most depressed. Um, and nothing was sticking nothing felt good. I could, I could barely work out. Like I was doing like yoga every day and everybody was like so worried sick. And I was like, I'm literally doing yoga and running like twice a week. Like, I don't know what else to say. I'm not doing anything with my body that would warrant it to be so depleted, but I wasn't giving it any love. And so what I was recognizing was I was purging all this anger and all this guilt and all the shame that I wasn't enough, that I wasn't good enough that I never did what I wanted to do, that I didn't please all these people, that I was just everybody. I was playing a victim. Everybody did something to me and I was not happy, right? And so it was like this weird shift of like victimization of like what is, you know, happening to me. And um, I really worked through all that, but I think when you're releasing anger like I was, you really feel this, like your body just shuts down, right? Like I just didn't have anything in me to give at all. People are like, why don't you date? I'm like, I cannot be bothered. Like I don't have anything in me to give. (laughs) And so, um, you know, and I'd been in a long relationship that was super tough and I had had a beautiful relationship right in front of me. And I also dated another guy right after my relationship in China or for four years at Florida and China. And that was beautiful too. Like I had great relationships in my life. Like my family cared for me. I had great friends, but something just wasn't fulfilled. Like I just didn't feel fulfilled. And I recognized that, that was my own doing. Like I was mm-hmm. creating the victimization. I, I was it's though, like everybody did something to me kind of mm-hmm. mindset versus like, I'm in control of that change. Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't know how to do it kind of yeah. thing, you know? But I didn't have the energy to do it because my body was done. So it was like this mind, body, crazy mind fuck. (laughs) And so, um, and so I was in therapy, um, for two years, like I said, and I started to come out of it and do, I was doing really well. Um, I was, you know, you go through all the stages of grief. Like I, I had broken up with a relationship. I had broken up with my swimming of 20 years. I, you know, it wasn't really speaking much to my family. I was having some old pain come back, like just emotional pain and like relationships and and so what year was this 
this was 2012. And so then my brother makes the Olympic team, and I was just like, holy shit, now I'm faced with all this again. Like, here I go. Like, God, if I, so it's literally like seeing that person that you don't want to see after like five years, and all of a sudden you see them, and you're like, oh my God, like, I'm fine. Right? So, like, I went, and I had all, of course, I went to London and watched my brother because he made the Olympic team. And I had all this, like, fear in my body that I was just, like, I'm just, and I had it at trials, too, just, like, I don't want to be around all this. Like, I can't do this. Like, this was so painful for some reason. And did Mama and Daddy Bear say this is not about you? Yeah, because I had, I had associated a, a pain from swimming with pain from emotional stuff. Like, so I associated them together, and that's why I associated swimming with pain mm. instead of, like, fun and, like, happiness mm -hmm. and... So I went to watch Clark, and it was finally like, I'm good. Like, I was okay. Like, it was weird. It what didn't mean I was done at all, but so I was went like... To the wake. You went to the wake of a funeral. Yeah. I mean, sorry, Clark, but... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I tell him that all the time. I'm like, you were, like, a big reason why I shifted my... Yeah. And, like... And so, anyway, I... um. I've never been so happy in my entire life for something like I was in tears at Olympic trials, like shaking for him and like same with Olympics. Like it was the coolest experience. <clears throat> um, and so I get back and anyway, and then I went to school for sports psychology. Like I said at the beginning, I went to the university of Tennessee, met some of my best friends there. And that was a big healing time too as well. But like a really, it was a good sense of purpose. I finally felt like I was doing something, not really to chase something anymore, but really to start finding my purpose and, um, and then after that was when I had a conversation with Rebecca, Sony about creating a way to have Olympians have an identity mm -hmm. and athletes mm -hmm. to form an identity at a young age. So what better way to do that than have Olympians mentor youth athletes? So we created a program where everybody does that online and we have, you know, 20 Olympians and a bunch of youth, a hundred youth athletes and parent community and so now we have that business, but it was like this feeling of my purpose is coming together. Um, it doesn't mean that I want to do that. Maybe I won't do this forever, but this is a way that like I have closure with my sport as well as giving back to the next generation so that they feel empowered to do things and that, you know, Olympians can have a purpose after they're done to help the next generation. And so we really felt that vibe and um, have built that for the past two and a half years and it's grown so much yeah and it's gnarly i mean god if i could relate it to anything it's the process of training to become an olympian <laughs> you like cry you some days yeah. you hate your life the next day like i you you never feel like you can stop working and then you know it's like you give yourself guilt when you don't and when you take time off and you give yourself you know i've just learned that like there's not an end to this. Like this, like you never feel ahead. You're never going to feel like you've made it. And I think that's my biggest realization this past year is throughout this whole journey and this whole whirlwind of like finding an identity and going through depression and coming out on the other end of it. You're never going to be happy if you really think about it. Like you're never going to, not happy. The point is like you're never going to be satisfied that you have quote unquote made it you can only be happy in the process is what i was trying of to say anything in life of anything and so it's like everybody says oh my god you have like such the perfect life or whatever and i'm like are you kidding me like everything is difficult especially right now i'm on crutches like crutching around and here i am like life could be way worse but you could say that about anything mm -hmm. like life can always be worse it's not about that like i can grit through pretty much anything 
but that's the opposite of what you should do because I gritted through so much without really paying attention to myself for so long. Mm -hmm. I only paid attention to my body and how it could perform. I only paid attention to what I needed to pay attention to in the moment. And that's fine. That got me to where I needed to be. But now it's about being aware and understanding that like, if you need to push through things and you have to be a little bit selfish, that that's the way that you're going to get shit done. But that doesn't mean that you ignore those feelings and those emotions that were there. Don't push them aside too long, address them and move forward. So now I always laugh because I have a cycle of like push, push, push. And then I like hit this wall where I'm like, oh my God, I like just need to like honor myself and just do things for me. And like, mm-hmm. you know, and it's interesting because that's actually what makes me a better businesswoman and a better friend. And, you know, and I think that that's uh, something that my friends and my world have really embraced with the lifestyle that I live now mm-hmm. um, is that like you push, 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 and then you pull back a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, it's, you and know, it doesn't mean that you don't like them. It's no, just the way it is. No, it's that important. There's so much strength in knowing what to say no to. Oh my gosh. In a yeah. person, there's so much strength. And I want to, I kind of want to step back and you mentioned you gave so many years. Gosh, how many years of your life? Almost 20 years? Yeah. Which is like 20 years? Yeah. You know, focusing on your body, focusing on it as a machine, mm-hmm. your body, your body, your body, out, external, external, external. Yeah. And it all now away. You're, you're at the point where you really need to focus and listen mm-hmm. to your mm-hmm. mind, mm-hmm. but more importantly, your heart. Mm-hmm. What's your heart telling you? Mm-hmm. You know, and following mm-hmm. that. Um, because if not, as you notice, maybe your body will tell you. Yeah. And in so many different ways. Yeah. Stop. As you said, you're a horse. Pull back the reins, baby. It's true. It's like you've got to you've got to find that balance of internal external. And you got to tell you know with the Rise program, mm-hmm. um, tell tell the yeah. kids you got you got to practice what you preach. Oh my gosh! And we're very open and vulnerable. Like we'll say things like, "I'm not perfect with this, and I don't have blah blah blah." You know, and I think that's the beauty of it is they want to know that Olympians, quote unquote, are human too. Like we're not superheroes. Uh, we make mistakes. We, I mean, hell, Michael was one of my close friends through a decade and he went through mega depression and, uh, you know, you know, I love you, Michael, but like, you know, we all knew, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, and you just have to keep it all so internal and figure it out for yourself. And I think that that's like, it's just a really powerful thing as you get older to, to speak about like not glorifying it, but just honoring it, you know? And I think that's a, a way that you can really become aware of yourself. And yeah, it's so interesting. It's all just so interesting. There's so many different ways to look at everything. Well, it is interesting because you love the swimming world. And then you, you, you as we mentioned, your coach was kind of like your first relationship. Mm-hmm. So then now you're like, you hit puberty, you know, mm-hmm. after this, I'm going to just use that analogy. You hit puberty and now you're experiencing the world. Yeah. You're experiencing... Maybe actually like having time to date and, you know, spend time with friends and realizing what you like to do for fun or maybe what you don't like to do for fun, you know, this and that. So it is hard and it is a self-identity crisis and stuff like that. Um, And you've, I mean, you've flourished beautifully of what I've seen and how long I've known you. I mean, I met you in the the locker room, you know, so that's kind of how it starts. But um, 
I want to I want to kind of because we may go back on that. Yeah. Um, if you want to share any more about that kind of phase and the depression, and but um, I do want to talk about because you went to fit them. You're mm-hmm. in product development. Mm-hmm. I do want to share about a product that you have developed. Yeah. You lived in Santa Barbara for a while, which my yeah. mama lives yeah. there. Yeah. My grandma lives yeah. there. Yeah. I love Santa Barbara. It's such a yeah. special healing place. Yeah. And I love it's that cool. you lived there. Yeah. But uh, you have developed a product. Yeah. Um, can you share? Yeah. So, uh, Lenka Tinka, um, she is the founder of Natura Aquilina, which was a skincare company that I started working with when she literally made them in her kitchen and would send them to the swimmers because she was friends with Christy and she was actually friends with Michael's sister, Hillary Phelps, like really good friend. So I'm, we all met her through Hillary. She used to send us these little tiny, like, like, you know, rogue like testers and that was like all she had and she was like do you like it we put all these oils on our skin and we'd be like oh my gosh and you know granted keep in mind like i'm i turned 30 and all of a sudden my brown spots come out you know it's like we trained in the sun so long but like oh my gosh did we need this and my skin is transformed from her um just from chlorine damage and everything so we started with that and then um so i've known her for like six years and she all of a sudden, you know, one day was just like, you know, you've helped me uh, grow my ambassador program because I got her a bunch of ambassadors and athletes. And she was like, I really want to make a product with you. And she's like, what do you want? And I was like, coconut oil. Because I love yes. coconut oil. And she's like, what do you want in it? And I was like, well, I want to put an oil in it that men and women can both use and one that's like a natural anti-inflammatory and has like a lot of healing properties. And so, you know, I mean, you can use like eucalyptus and peppermint and all that stuff. But we just did not settle with the scent with the blend of uh, coconut. coconut. So finally I was like, Oh my God, rosemary. Duh. And I was like, yeah, and you right. can use it on your scalp for hair growth. So she, we tested a bunch of like the levels of how much rosemary oil would go in it. Um, and finally came to a really good, like perfect blend. And, uh, I got to name it after myself, Carol Coco. And now it's doing amazing. Like we have, um, just, it's literally just raw, organic, unrefined, virgin coconut oil with rosemary oil in it, period. And she sources everything from, like, the beautiful mountains of, like, God knows where. And I'm, I don't want to give away too much information. So she's uh, up in Santa Barbara and sort and makes everything in their warehouse there. And she ships it all over. And so. you can buy. You can buy, buy yeah. Carol Coco on um, her website. Yeah, or just or if you website. link to my cool. – um, well, my website's, like, really old. But if well, you link to my Instagram – Right. I'll put it in the show yeah. notes for sure. Yeah. Um, it's and on there. And we'll talk yeah. details about that. Yeah. Um, you can use it for, like, oil pulling and everything, too, because it's, like, just a really big – hair mask. Yeah. Hair mask. I don't recommend putting it on your whole hair shaft because it can take a while to get out. Yeah, well, not really, but it's not the best like for like some thinner parts of the ends of it, but it's better for your scalp and like hair growth and circulation for your mm-hmm. scalp and your your head. So I love this. Yeah, or like maybe I uh, put it all over. Use yourself. it for massage and cupping, and right mm. after I get out of the water, um, I really like it like on my face. I haven't done it on my face, but I personally, a lot of people don't would never put it on their face, but I love it on my face. Like I break out when I put coconut oil. A lot of people do. I don't. It just depends on your skin. I can put it on my body. Like, I have a couple breakouts right now, and last night I put it on, and it, like, they went, yeah, they, like, went down. But, see, you know, it'll take me a couple times to do it. But that being said, I don't recommend it for everybody. I recommend her other facial products, which are actually for your face, mm-hmm. uh, which I use her rose oil and everything on my mm-hmm. face. But it's just, it. it's just so nice because it's natural. 
everything's organic. Um, I know that word gets tossed around very easily nowadays, but this is legit. So if you check it out. So can I, can I share something I've kind of discovered about you? So you went through this, uh, who am I, who am I? But from what I've known you or known of you is that, you know, you went to school for product development. You are all into, you know, just ever since I've known you, you're like, do you, do you know a good facialist? Do you know a good hairdresser? Yeah, you know, something like, like that. Well, maybe yeah. it's just being a girl or something, but, and it's all about taking care of yourself. Yeah. And maybe you've come full circle of the taking care of yourself. And maybe this is, yeah. maybe this yep. is your identity and your creative 100%. identity and, and transferring with that, you know? I also stopped apologizing. For yeah, why? like I used to feel really bad when I would say no or have to like reschedule something or whatever. And I'm because I'm a woman of like I want to commit to something and I want to show up and I want to show up hard. But I do that, and I re- realized that I never really was able to say no for a long time and just mm-hmm. like honor the schedule that I need to do things when I need to do them to get them done. And it's interesting. I was having a conversation with one of my best friends, Justin, um, the other day, and he's like the most understanding human alive. And he lives in Venice and I live here. And it's just funny because it's like you have closed places, but there's we see each other like once every two weeks, maybe like in quick passing, like at a coffee shop, like, you know, and that's like, it. yeah. And so because it's funny because he works for himself, too. I work for myself and we recognize we were like the reason why it's so difficult is because in L.A., it takes two hours to commute anywhere. So that's two hours of work time that you, when you structure your life and you know that that's what you need as an entrepreneur or you need certain breaks or you need, you need to be unapologetic for that. Like, no, I can't because it takes me four hours round trip to get here to do this. Whereas before I'd try and do it all and I'd be all stressed out. Now it's like you can manage and balance what you need to do. And I credit that to swimming because I credit that to understanding like time management Management. skills. So, um, anyway, that was like a really random tangent, but. Okay, let's ask a couple more questions because yeah. I know we're going to have to tidy it up a bit. Yeah. Um, all right. So as we've kind of discussed, what is your most cherished moment? Since you're, swimming? You're, or you're 31. In what life. Is, you've done so much, Caroline. You've done so much. <laughs> no, listen, and you're always learning. What is your What is your most cherished moment thus far in your 31 years? And it can be swimming. What's the first thing that comes to your head? And you can change your I've mind. had like three things okay. come to my head. Um, and they can be, they can be, have been painful experiences that turned you into a beautiful butterfly you are today. Yeah. Um, one of them would have been bringing my dad to therapy uh, and just like, oh my gosh, hashing out so much stuff that we didn't realize was like expectation or pressure. You know, um, like two hours screaming, crying, making up. Like that was something about like a father's love for a daughter was like, oh, it was crazy. Um, that was a big cherished moment. And, you know, I think that we still had healing to do after that, but it was never bad, but it was just very powerful to like have that moment for sure. Uh, another one was watching my brother at the Olympics. That like always comes to mind because for some reason I took such pride in him. Not for some reason, but obviously I did. But I was probably more excited for that than like my own stuff sometimes. It was just wild. Um, 
Those were powerful. I've had so many this past year. Um, and this one's maybe painful, but I broke my heel last May. Um, had to pull out of a bunch of races uh, immediately, right when I started getting back on my feet, got septic knee and was in the hospital for mm -hmm. three days. Um, and then started getting back on my feet and now my heel is fractured again in two places. So I think that this is a cherished time. Um, and I never really had a lot of injury as a swimmer. I had like one hip thing once or like, you know, like a SI joint that was like hurting. But for the most part, I never really had a lot of issues. Um, and so it's humbling. And I think that I've learned that it's the last bit of pain and holding on to pain that I've purged from my body. Um, it was also a hard year in the swimming world for females. And so I think that, um, it, a lot came to the surface this past year. And I, for a couple weeks, just recently, I like was profusely apologizing to so many people just for not being there enough or for not for going in my cave or for not honoring certain things or for not being as available and for not, and I recognized that I was just like apologizing again for everything. And I felt like what, you know, what do I have to prove? Like, I don't have anything to prove, but that the constant reminder is that life is short and I don't have a lot of time to sit there and feel sorry for myself anymore that things have happened to me. And I think that I've really learned that like, whether I know it or not, for as positive Patty as I can be, I've played the victim card for the past six years of my life after I was retired swimming. And I think that that caused me to hold on to a lot of anger and pain that showed up in my body. And something that I'm really aware of is that your feet are a grounding, your feet are grounding. And when your feet, you know, obviously we have swimmer feet. They're biomechanically messed up for running, to be honest. So being very careful and years of running after I retired finally caught up to me, which I'm learning to not blame myself for. But sure, biomechanics can be a thing, but I'm also very in tune with like the mind-body connection of like, this is the big sign that like ground yourself into who you are. And I think that's a powerful thing that I've learned this past year that, you know, things show up in your body where you have a vulnerable feeling. And so feet are a very powerful part of feeling like you belong and that you're grounded into who you are as a person. And so, uh, that's my hippy dippy side of it. So that's well, my long winded. You know, long -winded <laughs> but you, know you know, in Asian, um, Asian, Asian talk, a lot of, yeah. um, a lot of toxins go out through your feet. Oh my gosh. So much. And it's like, I think that's like a big like release and especially getting septic knee. Like it was like, get this energy out of my body. Like what is happening? You know, it's a stagnant energy. everything has caused me to stop this year. And I felt like a mess. I felt like, I felt like a problem, quote unquote. I felt broken. I felt like, why me? And then that was when I, like I told you, I realized stop playing the victim card. Like this is not like, you're not helpless. <laughs> like, well, you're in control of this the, healing. Like, it's, you know, nutritionally, it's the same thing. When someone yeah. says, I want to go on a diet or a detox, 
oftentimes you're going to feel like shit. Yeah. you feel like 100%. Better. 100%. So let me ask you a couple more questions and then we'll wrap it up. Who, well, one thing. What's your biggest fear? Not, I start the sense with not. Um, not fulfilling what I feel is my highest form of expression. Okay. Um, That's your homework. Yeah, and I don't really know what that is yet, but there's something artistic and creative in there that I'm still figuring out how to do. And it's the easiest thing. It's the easiest answer to figure out. I know what it is. Yeah. But you probably do all the time. Yeah, I'm just, yeah. Um, Who's Caroline? A creative nerd. I love it. <laughs> a creative homebody, an outgoing homebody. I love it. An That's outgoing turtle. An, an outgoing, a crab. Outgoing introvert. It's the yeah. the beautiful hermit it's that true. was. Right. Are you ready for this last? Well, wait. Yeah. Do you have anything else you want to kind of share? Mm. Anything else? Anything about vulnerability, about success, about. That I read the book, The Art is Not Giving a Fuck, and it changed my life. <laughs> After reading that, like, a few weeks ago, I don't know why it took me so long. And I was like, really? I was like, the things I worry about are so minute compared to, like, what's really... And I know that we all say that, but, I mean, like, God. I'd be like, so-and-so's mad at me for, like, not, you know? And it's like, dear God almighty. I mean, that's just so false. So, that's a good book. Suggest picking it up. It's funny as hell. <laughs> Because at the end of the day, guess what, honey, you you only have everything to give to yourself. Totally. No one else. No one else does give a fuck about what you give a fuck about. No. Last question. Are you ready? What's your honest truth that has led you on a path to success in maintaining a healthy lifestyle? This can be mentally, physically, emotionally. What has kept you grounded even when your foot is? Under turmoil. Mm. What's your honest truth? Is that you're... You're never... Gonna feel ahead. And the reason why I say that is because there's something calming in knowing that... Getting quote-unquote there isn't a destination... Yeah. So, and it's, we all say it's just the journey and blah, 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 blah. But like really and truly, when have you gotten somewhere and like fist pumped your way home and just like retired on life and lived on a yacht? Like, sure, that sounds great, but like it ain't going to happen. You're going to always keep striving for more. So if you can rest, I rest easy with that. And I'm calmer knowing that I'm never going to feel ahead. It's no such, there's no such thing. It's your own perception of what that is. So Mm -hmm. that's my honest truth. Caroline Burkle, <laughs> seriously, I am so, you have my one eyes. hour, 40 minutes. No, I almost cried in this one. He, no, but this, it's so true. Like, um, here's the thing. You have to tell everybody to fast forward like an hour no, in. No, we are not fast forwarding. Um, my eyes have grown five times since I have listen to you I, I kind of want to be like the short of the long but too. I, I want to be I want to exactly I want to be honest with you and honest with my audience um I can completely 
five times 10% relate on most of the subjects that you have tapped on. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't go to the Olympics, but I've done life just like mm-hmm. you. Yeah, doesn't um, matter. No, no, no. But, Olympics um, or not. <laughs> no, no, but a lot of the personal things, I think we all can relate, and mm-hmm. I am grateful and honored and so thankful that you are open to share that with everyone. People need to hear that and they need to realize it's okay to talk about these things. Dude, I talk about it all the time. And we talked about things in a little more rated G version, but um, I am so proud of you as a leader to a younger generation because those young children need to know that things are out there, but you can use your voice Mm -hmm. and you can be honest. Um, So guys... We want to hear your comments. We want you to ask Caroline questions. Um, it can be about Carol Coco, her product line. It can be about her journey, her personal journey. Um, I will send them on to her. Um, I know she's a busy, busy bean growing a company. Um, it can be about her company, Rise Elite, um, Rise Athletes. Uh, yeah. Can you share that website? Yeah, it's just rise-athletes.com. Cool. Um, and... We would love for you to subscribe and listen to us, connect with us every single week. We put out a new podcast every Monday, um, Apple Podcasts, iTunes. Also, if you have an Apple phone, um, iPhone, gosh, I sound so old, an iPhone. (laughs) An Apple uh, phone. (laughs) um, It's um, that little purple like RSS streaming icon the app um subscribe just being honest b-e-i-n that's being without a g everything will be in our show notes that we talked about today and um again rate us review us we'd love to talk to you further again caroline i'm so grateful for you um i'm always here for you and uh, thank you this is a blast i've had so much fun i have no problem sharing so if anybody has any questions hit me up (laughs) we'll share all of her information her instagram handles you can follow her she's goofy as hell on instagram i feel kind of bad because i stalk her like 24 7 um constant heart love there um guys again it was an honor until next time this is kb your health and lifestyle manifestation coach talk to you soon kiss kiss hug hug peace love ciao